whether through death, rapture, or the second coming of Christ, you're prepared, you're ready to face Jesus Christ without any fear of condemnation. Being ready to face Jesus Christ at any moment should be a priority for any thinking person. Sadly, many people believe they have plenty of time to get things right. But none of us know how long we'll be alive and procrastinate in making any decision. Actually, making no decision is making a decision against Christ. In today's class of Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, continues unfolding this message from Matthew 24 on the topic of being ready for Christ's return. Open your Bible to Matthew 24, verse 42. At the end of the class, I'll tell you how you can listen to it again. Now, here's Steve. So let's begin to examine these verses and let's discover how to be prepared and ready for Christ's return. First thing then that Jesus tells us about being ready for his second coming is that the way we get ready for it is by experiencing salvation prior to his return. We begin in verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. The Lord begins this section by calling us to be alert, to be constantly ready for the day that he arrives, for the simple reason that we don't know which precise day it's going to be. So we are always to be watching for it so that we don't get caught off guard when that day finally does arrive. Now, for those who know Christ as Savior and Lord, his return will be the most marvelous, incredible experience of our lives. Because although he is coming to execute judgment on the world, true believers will not dread his judgment. Why? Because they will be secure in knowing that their salvation means that he was punished and judged in their place. That's what the cross is about. He was the substitute for sinners. Therefore, they won't fear condemnation because they know that, that the, the righteous one, Christ, was condemned in their place. And therefore, that God the Father is fully satisfied in terms of justice with the death of Christ. And therefore, they will never be condemned for their sins. That's what salvation means. We are rescued from the penalty of our sins. And so for believers alive at the end of the tribulation, visualizing the incredible spectacle of Christ's return will mean that their faith will finally give way to sight as they will see the most glorious and majestic scene ever to be seen. The Lord appearing in the sky, sitting upon a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven who are clothed in fine linen and they too are seated upon White horses, that's the way the Apostle John describes this scene in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19. There's been nothing like it before, there'll be nothing like it after. An incredible scene. But for those living at the end of the tribulation who have not believed in Jesus Christ, the sudden return of Christ will catch them completely unaware. It'll be a time of indescribable horror, like the worst nightmare they have ever had multiplied many, many more times as they will physically see the one they have ignored and rejected coming in the clouds to judge them. 
and then to carry them away into an endless eternity of punishment and separation from God without any hope of their condition and their lost estate being changed. It's over. They will be frozen in their unbelief. So because the day of his coming will mean either untold blessing or untold judgment, depending upon one's relationship with him, and no one knows when that day will arrive, Jesus very clearly says here that we are to be constantly alert and ready for his coming. Now, folks, here's an important matter for each of us to consider. Why was Christ so concerned about telling his apostles to be ready and alert for his coming? Why? I mean, they all died. By the end of the first century, they're all all gone. Well, let's step back a moment and remind ourselves that the entire Olivet Discourse, though spoken to the apostles, is specifically a message for the generation that will be alive during the days of the tribulation. Those individuals who will personally experience all the signs and all the judgments that will take place at that time. And while many who will be will be reading Matthew 24 during the tribulation, many will be believers who will turn to the Bible, specifically Matthew 24, for direction, for clarification, what's going on? Oh, here's what it says in Matthew 24. And they'll be, they'll be rejoicing to know oh, the Bible says this. However, there will be unbelievers who will read their Bibles at that time. The Bible will be around. There'll be unbelievers who will be reading Scripture, trying to figure out what's going on. Nobody really knows what's happening. Maybe the Bible will tell us and they'll come across Matthew 24 and understand this. And and this statement about being alert and watchful concerning his coming is designed to be a warning to these unbelievers to make sure that in the horrible days of the tribulation, that they understand they need to be ready for the return of Christ. These are not random catastrophes. These are signs and they need to be ready for Christ. So this is a call for unbelievers to prepare for the day that Christ arrives by trusting him for salvation. See, this is the context of what Jesus has been talking about when he spoke about the days of Noah. The people of Noah's generation were not ready for the judgment because they ignored Noah's call to repentance until it was too late. Therefore, Christ here is being merciful, merciful in calling the people who will be living during the tribulation not to make the same mistake as the victims of the flood. In other words, he's warning them that sudden judgment will surely come on the day that he returns to those who are not ready, those men and and women who will be busy at work, who suddenly, without warning, will be whisked away in judgment without any hope. Now, folks, the, the truth that Christ is teaching here applies to all of us, regardless of the specific time period that we live in. And that truth is that each of us needs to be ready for judgment. And the only way you can prepare for God's judgment is to repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation, that he was judged in your place. That's the only way to prepare. Now, you may think that you have plenty of time for this and that you want to live a little bit. You want to enjoy the pleasures of sin before becoming a Christian. That's that's for for old people, not somebody has their whole life in front of them. But if you think like that, then you have deceived yourself. 
You've deceived yourself into thinking that you have plenty of time when you don't know how much time you have. I want you to see two passages of Scripture that tell us that we do not know how much time we have. The first is James chapter 4. James tells us, starting in chapter 4, verse 13, he said, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now, this man has his, his whole year mapped out before him. It's not wrong to make plans. It is wrong to leave God out of those plans. That's what James is saying. This man just made plans without recognizing that, you know what? Those may not be God's plans for his life. And they're not. Verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and also do this or that. So this man made plans, but God said, you don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. You don't know. Your life is just a, a vapor. It's here. It's gone. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then I'll even be alive tomorrow to do whatever God's plan for me is. Listen, you don't know the will of God for your life. How many days, years, perhaps even hours you have to live. You don't know when you're going to die. No one does. You don't know how much time you have left to trust Christ before it's, it's too late. You see, so often, death comes to us when we least expect it. Now, that's not the case with some people who have prolonged illness. They know it's inevitable. They're going to die as a result of this illness. But oftentimes, death comes when, when we don't expect it. We say it came out of the blue. I never anticipated this. Well, there's another passage that addresses that. And that's Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. In this passage, Jesus speaks about a wealthy man who thought he had all the time in the world. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Jesus told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared. Now, the primary point, in all fairness to this parable, is to show the foolishness of being covetous, of living to gain wealth. So foolish because how ridiculous is it to spend your whole life pursuing wealth only to, to lose it in the end? That's the primary point here. But in, in the process of denouncing the sin of covetousness, Jesus also declares that there is coming a day for all of us when God says, your time is up. Your time's up. The final buzzer has just sounded. Your life is over. And it is the height of folly not to prepare for that day. And the only way, Jesus said, to prepare for that day is to make sure that your sins have been forgiven by trusting his substitutionary death on the cross. Then, whether through death, or rapture or the second coming of Christ, you're prepared. 
You're prepared. You're ready to face Jesus Christ without any fear of condemnation. That's why Paul said to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And at the end of the chapter, he said, what shall separate us from the love of God? And he went on to give a list of things. One of those things is death. Death won't separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So in principle, here's the point that Jesus is telling us in verse 42 of Matthew 24. Since we don't know the time of his return, we are always to be spiritually prepared for that day. He does come back by making sure that our soul is right with God. And just to press home what it means to be always prepared and always ready for his coming, Jesus proceeds to give a very striking illustration about watchfulness, an illustration that underlines this point, verses 43 and 44. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason... You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Now, in these verses, Jesus compares the watchfulness of a homeowner who knows that a burglar is coming at night. There's someone has tipped him off. He knows when a burglar is coming, but he just doesn't know the exact time when the thief will show up. And he compares that scenario to the kind of watchfulness that we're to have in his unannounced arrival. See, in Christ's day, there was no such thing as a local police force that you could just call for protection. If, as a homeowner, you heard through the grapevine that a thief was going to try to break into your house on a certain night, then you as a homeowner had to protect your home by staying up all night, being constantly prepared for the arrival of this thief. Because... No thief in his right mind is going to announce to you when he's planning to break into your house. However, if you knew the time that this planned break-in and burglary was going to take place, then you wouldn't have to be alert throughout the night. You can get some sleep. But since you don't know when the thief is coming, only that he is coming, then you have to keep watch all night long. That's precisely the point that Jesus is making concerning his own coming. Based on what he's already taught in the Olivet Discourse, people can know the general time that he's coming, but no one, no one can know the exact time, so they have to keep watch all the time. Now, folks, obviously, the Lord is not comparing himself with the character of a thief. I hope you recognize that. Only to the unexpectedness of a thief's arrival. That's all. And in fact, a number of Bible writers went on to actually use the same imagery that he's coming like a thief in the night. I think it's used about four, perhaps even five other times in the New Testament. See, thieves thrive on being unexpected, right? I mean, that's what a thief does. He doesn't announce when he's coming because their success is always based on no one suspecting that this is the day they're going to be robbed. In fact, several years ago, Michelle and I came home one night to find that our own home had been broken into and we were robbed. Well, I never thought that a thief would break into my house that night. Otherwise, I would have never left the house unguarded. It's the point. It's precisely what Jesus is 
is saying here by comparing his coming to that of a thief in the night in the sense that it will be at a time when people don't expect it to happen. And that's why he says, always be ready, always be watching like a homeowner, constantly watching for the coming of a thief. Now, in light of what Christ has said here, I want to ask you an important question. Do you think, let's apply it to what's most relevant for us, the rapture of the church. Do you think that the rapture could very well happen today? Or do you think that since he's waited so long, it won't happen for many years, as someone recently told me? Well, if you don't think that the rapture will or can take place today, then I remind you it may very well take place today. And I say that because in principle, that's exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 44 by declaring that he's coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So it may very well be today or this may be the day that your life on earth ends. It may be that someone in this congregation will die today. So the question is, are you prepared for that day? Are you ready? If you think it'll never happen to me, it may very well happen to you. That's the point that Christ is making. Listen, millions of people are not ready, nor do they give a passing thought to Christ's return. They're too busy eating, drinking, getting married, having children, pursuing an education, working at a job. Too busy enjoying life being responsible in life, but someday, while they are engaged in one of these activities, the end is going to come either by death or his return, and they won't be prepared for it. In the words of one Bible teacher, the television networks will not be prepared, the world's leaders will not be prepared, and the false religions of this world will not be prepared. But Jesus has told you and me to be prepared. You can be prepared. Prepared, you can make sure that you're ready by being saved. By being saved before he returns. Because once he comes back, it's over. There will be no further opportunity to repent. The writer to the Hebrews said, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. It's over then. If you die without Christ, as I said before, you will be frozen in unbelief and rebellion and carried off into an irreversible, eternal judgment. It's so horrible that there are times I find myself thinking about hell and just have to shut off my mind. It is that horrible. So the first thing that Jesus tells us about how to get ready for for his return is that we are to prepare for it by experiencing salvation prior to his return. However, listen very closely. Just as there are many who claim today, verbally profess that they know Christ, but they don't. They don't. It's an empty profession. There's no reality to their lives. No reality of Christ, I should say, in their lives. So during the tribulation, there will also be people who will verbally profess to believe in him, but they won't be his true disciples either. And because it is very possible for someone who isn't saved to think that they are saved, Even in the days leading up to the time of Christ's return, the Lord now gives a second truth about being prepared for his return. In the first part, what we just studied, 
I believe he directs what he has to say to unbelievers, to those who are not saved. He says, get ready for my return by experiencing salvation before I come back. But now he turns to those who who do make a claim that they know him. And he says, get ready for my return by proving the genuineness of your salvation as you wait for me to come back. Prove that you really are believers. Don't be deceived by this. Verses 45 through 47. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing, so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. Now, Jesus moves from the imagery of a homeowner and a thief to that of a master and a slave. And in doing so, he gives a, a brief parable about a slave who was put in charge of his master's household while his master was away on a journey. And during his master's absence, it was this chief slave's responsibility to make sure that all the other slaves were taken care of, especially to make sure that they were given food at the proper time. And Jesus said that if this slave faithfully carries out his master's orders, not only will he receive praise from his master when he returns, but he'll be given even more responsibility, more responsibility by his master. Now, what is the point of this story? Well, this slave is a picture of everyone who professes to follow and serve Jesus Christ. You see, in claiming that Christ is our savior, we also claim to have submitted to him as our Lord as our master, you, there is no dichotomy in the New Testament that you can accept Christ as your savior without embracing him as Lord and master. Why would you ever turn to him to be your savior, turning away from your sin if you wanted to just continue in your sin? And the greatest sin is running your own life. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. This is why the Apostle Paul so often referred to himself as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. That's what a Christian is, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But the test of whether or not we are really bond slaves is how faithful, how loyal we are to Christ in terms of obeying his word while he is physically away from us in heaven. In other words, while he's in heaven and we are awaiting him on earth, are we loyal to him? It's not your loyalty that gets you saved, but it is your loyalty to him that evidences whether you really are saved. See, true believers follow Jesus Christ and we serve him in whatever capacity he chooses for us, regardless of the task. Our attitude is, yes, Lord, whatever you say. And the proof that you are truly saved is that you are obedient to him as you wait for his return, even though you cannot right now physically see him And you don't know when he's coming back. This is the pattern that's taught in Scripture. If we have the same attitude as Paul did, that of being a bond slave of Jesus, how would it affect our daily walk, talk, and behavior? It might make a great difference in our outlook on life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That is only possible as we obey his words and commands. He wants the best for us. If you would like to listen to this study again, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and stream it or download it. 
There are many other studies available to you free of charge. Our desire is that you will grow in your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions, call us at 727-239-0306. We'd love to help you spiritually in any way we can. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. Our next class together will be the last one for this series from Matthew 24. Be sure to be here as Pastor Steve explains that no hypocrites will be allowed in heaven. Thanks for listening. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. It's Andrew Southwick, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments today in our Strength Between Sundays episodes. And the first commandment is that we are not to have any other gods before the Almighty God. In our modern culture, there are not very many of us who would worship a false idol made of wood or stone or something, but we do have other more subtle idols, emotional.